Hey, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. You remember when we were in London way back in, what was it, May? May. It was like May 11th. Yeah. When this show was actually recorded. Okay. And here we are in July. Yeah. Late July, no less. Late July, unless you've somehow rearranged the shows to accommodate somebody else. This is July 28th. We're not going to do that. I'll leave it in place. We're having a great summer. We are. I, I I hope you had a great summer, my friend. I've had. I I have apparently already back for from a cruise at this point. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. And my birthday, my fifty fifth birthday. Yeah, that's right. Mine is coming up. Coming here. up any moment now. Any moment now. Time shifting is fun. It is, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking passwordless with Eli Holderness. But first, let's roll the crazy music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? Well, I recently, and by recently, I mean May. May. Started a new project with a, with a new customer, and they said they wanted to use, it's a Blazor project, and they said they wanted to use a tool called Figma. What's a Figma? Figma of your imagination. Nice. Figma.com is an online designer. Oh. Oh, Eli gave me the thumbs up. All right. Yeah. They love it. Um and Figma is basically an online designer that generates beautiful designs and uh, it works with every kind of form factor and every kind of device. And there's another tool that is in the same tribe called Anima. So if you go to Anima app, A-N-I-M-A-A-P-P dot com slash Figma, hmm. you'll see a way that you can export Figma files to HTML and CSS. Wow. Okay. Now, I'm a little scared as a web developer because, you know, design is kind of half of web, isn't it? At least. At least half. It's at least a third. You got design, you got logic, you got the back end. But any tool that can speed up the process of getting me to a button click, handler, view model, whatever is is good in my in my shoes. So I really haven't started using it, but um I I looked at it and I looked at the comments and mm-hmm. it looks like it does what it says it does. How useful it's going to be in a Blazor application, I don't know. But I will report back sometime in July. Actually, maybe even before. You might have to go back in time to get my reply <laughs> to know <laughs> this one how it's going. <laughs> But anyway, that's what I got. It's it's sort of a tribe. It's Figma and Anima. Anima work together. And they work together. To make awesome looking stuff. That's right. I like it. Yeah. So cool. who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a show 1699. So just before 1700, as opposed to what we just did with the show 1800. That's right. And this is from uh, August of 2020 when we talked to Christos Matska and John Dandinson. And we were talking about uh, putting identity into your applications. Right. And it was really a focus on... Um, Active, Azure Active Directory and their B2C interface and so forth. When much of that stuff was new, like this show is a little stale now. It's two yeah. years old and, and some of the rules have changed on most of these features. I've done it since then. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also important that Microsoft is evolving identity for themselves yeah. a lot. I think they have huge problems. You know, I did. I try it. Well, I, I don't think they're over. You know, I still have tenantitis in M365 oh, on a tenants. regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Tenants are hard. I just want to know. When I'm logged into Teams, 
what tenant am I in? I know. Like, could you just tell me that, it's please? It's really hard. Yeah. yeah. The email address is not enough. I need to know what tenant I'm in. And going from roles to claims. Yeah. That's like a big, big deal. It's hard. So this comment is from uh, Ahmed Abadou, who was actually referencing something you said on the show. Now, admittedly, it's two years ago, so you may not remember. But we were talking a little identity server and the whole token process. Yeah. And, uh, and Ahmed said, dear Carl, in your question about validating a token, identity server has a feature called the reference token. Sure. This basically is a tone at the client that does not contain all the claims information, but rather has a reference to the actual token that resides on the identity server itself. Yeah. And with that, maybe suitable for banking transactions. Every single time the token is validated on the server, it's a trade off. Because every single request it communicates with the identity server, so it's going to have yeah, a performance. It's an there. identifier. Yeah, but it, and and he puts a reference to the docs as well. We've got an identity server show mm-hmm. coming. Yep. Although by request, not till the fall. Okay. So I talked to Dom. Yeah. And he's but we've like, done. We talked to those guys about a bunch of times. A bunch but of times, and the identity yeah. server continues to evolve. Like they, yeah, they've yeah. gone through a lot of changes. It's time. Yeah. So it'll take. We'll be a little while before we get back into identity server again. Mm-hmm. But I, I appreciated Damage. You know understanding of that too that these tokens can be somewhat complicated but that makes a lot of sense that sure i'm going to give you this simple token that's only good for you to ask here you know at this identity server Mm -hmm. for identity information right uh, so, Mamet, I mean, thank you so much for your comment and a copy of Music Code by. It's on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music Code by, write a comment on the website at dotnetrocks.com or on the Facebooks. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. No identity necessary. <laughs> Keep your tokens to yourself. That's what your <laughs> Twitter handle is for. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's get to our show, shall we? Yeah. Uh, Eli Holderness is here. Eli has been a nerd for their entire life and has now been working in tech for six years after being released back into the wild from university. <laughs> These days they can be found at Anvil where they yell about Python and get paid for it. <laughs> and in their spare time, they enjoy trying to stop their cat from eating their knitting, which is just great. She does. Uh, she loves it. String. Cats. Goes yeah. wild for it. Yeah. Uh, my last cat who has passed now was fixated on plastic and I think it poisoned him to death. Oh, no. Nice. So, but, and I realized we functioned for so many years with no insecured plastic. Any wrapping had to immediately put in the garbage, which had a locked door on it. Um, no ribbon allowed on Christmas presents, like all of those sorts really? of things. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, no. Wow. I, you know, I only had to yard a meter of tinsel out of that cat's ass once before it's like, <laughs> oh, no. we're not doing this ever again. <laughs> By the way, cats make interesting noises when you do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> mm, yeah, my previous cat, his, uh, one of his best friends was, uh, this one particular plastic bag that we had in the house. <laughs> And uh, I'm pretty sure he was like slowly eating it over time. Yeah, I don't think that was what killed him. He mm. he lived to a, he lived to a healthy age, but um, yeah, you couldn't take that plastic bag away from him. He got Did very the bag sad. Smell like mouse. <laughs> you know, bird? I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe had chicken in it at one point and they yeah. didn't scrub it away. Well, I think they they like the noise it makes too. Mm. Or some of them hate oh, it. Oh yeah, they yeah. make a little scrunchy noise. But for for Axum, it was paper. He did love a good paper bag. You know, the best cat toy ever, right? Mm. Laser pointer. Yeah. 
You oh got to give them a God. treat. You got to give them a treat at the end, otherwise they get they get frustrated that they've chased and killed a thing and and didn't get a sort of physical reward oh, out that's of it. An interesting yeah, idea. Yeah. yeah. If you give them a treat with a little plasty blinky light on it, plastic <laughs> blinky light. <laughs> if you want to stop stop your cat from eating plastic, that might not be the way <laughs> yeah, to go. Probably not. No. But it's funny. Um. So what's up? What what's up do? with uh, password lists in the world of Eli Holderness? Yeah, so um, uh, way back in way back in May, um, I gave a talk at uh, NDC London. <laughs> I've um, heard of that place. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, apparently so- we're not the only time shifters around <laughs> yeah, here. It's, yeah, it's exactly. Kind of like time travel, isn't it? it is. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine totally. yourself in July. Yeah. Okay, yeah, way back in May. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, given that it's now July, I have been to I think probably two conferences since then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I gave a talk on different sort of user identity authentication methods. And not all of them are password based right. and, um, sort of the, the drawbacks of like a pure password based system, which mm-hmm. is that you have to remember lots and lots of really complicated passwords. Yeah. Um, and so obviously. Or you use a password manager or you like do. a grown up does. Yes, that is, that is the way to go. However, um, as I said in my talk, the, uh, the smartest person I know once pers- posted their, um, master password into Slack. So it doesn't awesome. matter how sophisticated oh, your users geez. are. Um, you always have to bear in mind that these things can happen. Yeah. yeah. Grandma Franklin likes to write them on post-its and lose them. Mm-hmm. So there's <laughs> yeah. no way. So she basically keep, let, lets me keep them and, you know, I keep them secure. Mm-hmm. And so she calls me when, she you know, what's my, what's my Wi-Fi password? What's my- <laughs> yes. Now I use LastPass and I use it with a master password, obviously. And a Fido key. I, I got on the YubiKey bandwagon a while ago. Mm-hmm. You said Fido key, and I've heard of YubiKey, but is Fido key a general term for a password? Yeah, that's, I don't, not that I know what the generic term is, but yeah, yeah. that that's the general, I don't know. Do you know? What- yeah. So, um, the Fido standards basically lay out how you, if you have a hardware authentication token, like a YubiKey is an example of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it basically lays out how that token interacts with like a device, like a computer. Right. And then how the web service that you're using it to authenticate with should interact with the computer. Like it defines basically all, all those APIs in between them right. and what kind of security standards they have to uphold. Um, those two standards are, oh, I'm going to betray my ignorance here. The one that um, defines the, 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 the one that defines the communication between the computer and the hardware token, um, mm. and I am completely blanking on that name. Okay. Um, but the other one is WebAuthn, and that controls how web services should use data, like issue challenges, and use the responding uh, the use the corresponding signed response from yeah. a key. Um, basically, those two standards put together are FIDO. So if you have okay. a hardware token that's called it, that's FIDO certified. That means that you can use it with any web service that's correctly implementing these protocols. That's interplanning. Yeah. And I, and LastPass does that. And mm-hmm. it, and I like the fact that if I leaked my master password, it's not going to do a whole lot for you, really, because now the f- next thing it does after you enter the password is, all right, hit your FIDO key. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I'm the only one who's confused about what these keys do and don't do and what, you know, what is the role of LastPass when you have a FIDO key and do you need both? And what about phones and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, devices that aren't connected? I mean, these are the questions that Fortunately, are I have done a lot of spec diving on, on this topic. Absolutely. I wrote a blog post about it a while ago now and I spent about two weeks, um, up to my eyeballs in the, the, you know, the, the specs for all of these things. Mm. Um, and so. So basically hardware tokens are like they're an embodiment of a private key for public, uh, for private public key pair cryptography. Right. Okay. And it's that, that private key is kind of baked into it at the hardware level. And that means okay. that 
you can't you can't extract it via software. So even if you've connected your YubiKey YubiKey to a computer, um, that computer cannot access the private key. Yeah. Um, and so when you log into something with your hardware token, um, the server that backs whatever that is, so the server that's backing LastPass, mm. issues a challenge that gets passed through the client directly onto the key, and then the key signs that signs that authentication challenge and returns it as a response. And then the server is able to verify because it knows your public key that that was the correct token that signed it. Um, so the, the private key never leaves the FIDO key. Exactly. And you never see it. Yes. You don't I, know what it is. I own the key. Don't know what it is. Exactly. I have no way to know what it is. All right. All right. All right. All right. So more questions here because mm-hmm. my brain is confused. Um, so if you have LastPass and you, you've got it installed on your laptop, mm-hmm. why go to the extra effort of an uh, of UV key. What does it give you? What what are the situations in which not having a FIDO key but using a password manager would be insecure? Uh if your master password for your password manager gets leaked somehow, you you pay Slack. Posted in Slack for Quite. example. Nobody does that. That wouldn't happen. <laughs> I know, <Always>. right? <laughs> who would who would do that? Um I, I I have to imagine that the person I'm talking about is gonna listen to this episode at some point. So hi. Well, going, they will have words with you. They, oh, I'm sure. No, they should um, be laughing at themselves yes. and saying, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> Why did I do Again, hey, smartest person any, I know. Um any and, of us can do it. It's just it's totally doable. But yeah. let's so let's say you've done that and I then go, Oh, I've seen this person's, this person's password. I'm going to go and log into their last pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I do that and that person has a hardware token associated with their account, yeah. I then can't complete that login process, that authentication process without that hardware token. And right. we're talking about physical access now. Mm-hmm. So on Slack, um, we might be on different continents. Yeah. And I can't, you know, go to that person's house, take that. Well, I mean, I could go to that person's house, take their YubiKey, but that's, that is a different method of attack yeah. than, knowing someone's password it's the it's the um like the the idea of authentication factors having three kind of broad types you've got things you know like a password mm-hmm. things you physically have like a hardware token or maybe access to a phone that can receive texts or right. one-time passwords mm-hmm. and then things you are like biometrics um and the thing about things that you are with biometrics is that they are very reliant on hardware yes. in order to read that you have to be able to trust your fingerprint scanner right and if they're compromised, it's a lot harder to get a new thumb than a new password. Um, but they're very, very hard to fake. Yeah. Now, do these keys work only by sticking something into a USB? Do they work with near field? Do they work with? Yep. There are transport protocols for USB, NFC, and I think Bluetooth for roaming authenticators, which is what you like your YubiKey. But these tokens can also be built into devices like smartphones and laptops. Interesting. So, and they work pretty much the same way. Um, there is still a level of isolation that they have from the larger device. So, like your smartphone probably has one. And really? yes. So, if you're, if you ever use your fingerprint to unlock something, it's likely actually using that fingerprint as an authorization gesture for your hardware token that's inside your phone right. to do some cryptography. You, you do get to a place, I don't know if, uh, you, you last pass on your phone is configured this way, but it always requires my, my fingerprint mm-hmm. to unlock. No, mine doesn't. Yeah. So, Does it have ooh, a button? Should I have said that? <laughs> Does it have a button? Uh, it has a face authenticator. Right. Yeah. You, you, these, t- um, hardware authentication tokens will almost always have, I think it's actually, it's not required, but it's very, very standard 
there will be, yeah, an authorization gesture that's required. Right. Um, such as, yeah, pressing a button, doing face ID, which is another form of biometrics. Basically like a button. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Like a finger button. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons for this is because let's say I've got a YubiKey and I've plugged it into my laptop. I've just left it plugged in. If my laptop is like riddled with malware, it could, that malware could be sending lots of, lots of, um, challenges to that key. That key would then be automatically signing them if it didn't require mm. a gesture from the user. Right. And the, the malware could be trying to brute force knowledge about the private key sure. of the, of the hardware token. But if you require the user to press a button in order to do the cryptography, then you mitigate that, that risk. There. You've just explained to me why I have to touch my UV key before it will do its thing. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. Because that way malware in my machine can't hammer this key to try and. So is your UV key, that little thing right there yes. that sets up your nose has a fingerprint reader on it? No, but it has, but it does have a button. Mm -hmm. So it's when I get the challenge for using my UV key, okay. I, it'll actually will light up and then I tap it and, okay. and then you see a spray of, of, of asterisks it only emits asterisks uh and, okay. and that's your and then you're authenticated wow and this cool. particular one i think this is a ub key four that i'm holding is usb a and nfc so it works okay. with my phone's last pass as well i see so nfc for your phone and usb you for your laptop for my laptop got it the other that's thing i learned cool. very quickly after getting one of these is don't own one of these Yes. Own several. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> that is. Yes. At least two. Okay. And even two, I wasn't comfortable with. I ended up with five. But then I'm also a little OCD. So I'm not going to ask you where they are because that would be. Well, there's one I always OCD. carry with me. There's, and there's one I'm going to leave, I leave on the desk. And there's ones in the keyboards of my workstations at home. Okay. Purely for convenience for me. Right. Yeah. That, right. Okay. When I need to authenticate on that machine, and LastPass wants me authenticated on each machine, right? Yeah, right. But they also then you had to go to the trouble on each machine of loading the keys. Mm, so you have every key loaded, pretty more or less. Mm -hmm. They though the keyboard keys are only for those machines, so they're only loaded there. Mm. But um, but that brings up the other thing. We only talked about securing a password manager, which I totally dig and works, and I have no problems with it. Yeah, and I've been using this thing for years. But putting it on other things. It seems to be, it really depends on the implementation. Like I have, I am using the photo key on, for GitHub. Mm -hmm. It annoys me every time. The implementation for, through GitHub is lousy. What do they do? I haven't, it, I haven't just done it. It's just jumpy. It fails a lot. Yeah. Poor UX will, um, you know, mm -hmm. if something is hard to use securely, it's insecure. And that includes annoying your users to the point where they can't you take advantage of the security yeah, they've implemented. And, and in theory, I'm allowed to authenticate Windows with this. Mm -hmm. I'm just terrified to, because if that goes wrong, you're locked out of that machine. Mm. Like, that's not a small thing. Yeah. Wow. Quite. That's a good point. Yeah. So you really have to trust it. Well, and, and then, so I kept thinking, I mean, and literally I've had these now for five years. I keep waiting for the time where I'm so comfortable. I just use it everywhere. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, in, I'm ten years into LastPass, and I am super comfortable with LastPass. Right. Like I would not do that any other way. I am now routinely grooming and killing off old accounts. Like I feel very comfortable with a password manager as something that I store important things in, not just passwords. And it, and it takes care Will of. Will you be able to start your car with it someday? Well, I mean, you can with a Tesla, right? Well, that's true. You can set up your phone to talking open about a Tesla. you know the rest of us, not yeah. the one percent. Nice, yeah. Sorry, not the 
half a percent, one tenth of one percent. Yeah, I think I'd be too scared to do that because you know, um, you know, uh, way, way back in May, um, we actually were evacuated from the the building. The oh, office. I remember that. Mm, and somebody like it was, was yesterday or the day before. Yeah, actually. and somebody was saying, well, if I've left my phone in there. I can't get back into my house if I have a smart lock, right? Because right? yeah. my phone is my key. Yeah. Um, and so you sort of, there are there are trade offs there, sure. but I mean, if you have five no different keys, than losing then, your keys, like mm. it's up to you to build yourself some redundancy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having multiple Vido keys was like this is a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're in different places, so that for sure I ha- I'm not out of keys. All right. So let's say you did. Try to log into Windows, and Windows said, hmm, "Nope, you're not getting in here." Who are you gonna call? Yeah, Ghostbusters. Um, no, seriously, who are you gonna call? Who whose job is it to to unf your Windows machine when when something goes wrong? Yeah, I think it's or do they just give you another chance? Do they just say, "Well, yeah, that didn't work." Oh, no, you definitely get more chances, but if it's not working, like, have you got an alternative login strategy? Well, that's true. I I would definitely not try it if I didn't still have a password or a yeah. pin or whatever. But I mean, but you look at LastPass. If you lose your master password, yeah, there's no alternatives. Yeah, you're right. LastPass said you told you that right up front. Don't yep. lose this, right? Because this is how we do security. There's only one way, mm-hmm. right? With and they don't offer login with only the FIDO key. You have to have the master password and the FIDO. And I recommend a short sentence that includes. Numbers and punctuation, punctuation, lead speak, and yeah, a little Klingon, lead speak, some Klingon, exactly. But but some you can remember, but but you know, a sentence is kind of easy to remember. Yeah, it's good Mm -hmm. for humans, bad for what was that XKCD about entropy, right? Yes, yes. yeah, Yeah. longer is better. Although you will have to complicate it because you know, dictionary based attacks are a thing, are a thing. Yeah, Mm. Yeah. one strategy I heard actually for remembering sort of big long inscrutable series of characters is um just a pattern on the keyboard right um so you know uh works probably even better if you have a vorjak vorak keyboard vorak keyboard keyboard, yeah um not pronounced the same as the composer then everything else in your world's going to be upside down oh absolutely uh, but you'll have great passwords Um, but yeah use some 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 sort of geometric pattern and obviously that won't it'll produce garbage but so i um, shouldn't have asd 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 as my password is that what you're saying I don't know if it's on the top hundred most used passwords, oh, but I, I know would what check. The top num- number one is one two three four. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah. Well, we could always check. Have I been pwned? Mm-hmm. Right? Quite all, all that info's in there. So, what does it take to implement Vital Keys in my app? Depends how you're building it. Okay. Um, so there are these uh, web authn is the standards that sort of dictate how your your web app should be interacting with a hardware mm-hmm. key, the format of the challenges that you can send, and the various options that you have. So, um. Keys will have options for different kinds of cryptography. You can actually still use RSA with them, with some of them, um, rather than ECDSA. And, you know, you, you know, um, depending on what kind of hardware token your users have, you might mandate one or the other. Right. Um, and there's JavaScript libraries for doing this. Um, all open source. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, to my, to my knowledge, I am not a JavaScript developer. I'm, right. I'm, I'm a right. Python person. Um, and my interaction with it has largely been um, as part of, I work at Anvil, which is a platform for doing web with Python, or with nothing but Python, I should say. And um, as far as building an Anvil app and on- enabling hardware tokens, is you just check a box. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, how, how it works under the hood is there's a very well-documented and quite rigid set of things that you can, that the APIs between the, all these things. And as long as you're following those, you're fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I ran across... Um, I ran across, ran across webauthn.io, Duo Labs, and they do a bunch of the implementations. Mm-hmm. But it's a .dot implementation done by uh, Anders, 
Albert, something like that. Yes. And yeah, maintain project, bunch of contributors. Update was just a month or two ago. So yeah, there you go. 502.net library. Mm-hmm. Web off end. Nice. So don't reinvent this. Yeah, do not. Yes. I mean, it's it's not Hold quite as bad bracket. as rolling your own crypto, but someone else has already done it for you. Just use that. Yeah. Man, the last time I used a technology with the word FIDO in it, it was using a modem to get into a bulletin board system. <laughs> That's how old I am. But okay, yes. well, that brought the conversation to screeching. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, one of my, but the two takeaways from the, the authentication talk that I have is basically you should have a YubiKey or, you know, authentication token of choice because there are options. Yeah. You should have one, love it, cherish it, don't lose it. Maybe have five. Um, and Only also, obsessed people would do that, but more <laughs> than one. Yes. Mm. Um, because you can lose them. Yes. Um, and you will be sad. You mm-hmm. will be sad. Uh, and also that SAML authentication is, is bad or is hard to do securely. And I have a whole rant about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and again, it's like, that's why you don't roll your own any of this. Use the libraries that are out there. Yes, absolutely. Especially when it comes to anything security based, like you, if something's open source, it's had a lot of eyes on it. Um, you know that other people are using it. So if it gets popped, at least you won't be the only one in hot water. Yeah. Um, safety in numbers. And it's one of the reasons to do SSO. Like it's one of the reasons you might choose to do SSO with a big identity provider like Google mm-hmm. because you get to rely on their security budget and their identity sort of management and protection versus if you are a small web app, you won't be able to do that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Same reason you don't roll your own authenticator. Right? Exactly. Like, look, so use the Google authenticator or the Microsoft authenticator mm-hmm. because they're using it for their products too. Odds are, if it gets breached, they're going to fix it in a big old hurry. Yes, exactly. Um, and you get to take advantage of that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I, I know we've only talked about YubiKey tokens, but there are other vendors. There are, yeah. And they, there are actually some differences because um, one of the things that's really cool about them is that I, I've sort of talked about it a little bit abstractly as if they had one private key on them. Mm-hmm. But often this isn't the case. They actually generate new key pairs for every service that they're registered with. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that if it's a really small device, like in terms of storage, you end up needing to store quite a lot of data um, and the ways that each of them handle this. Um, it's, it's all implementation details that are all sort of largely used in exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. But um, there are some interesting things like one, um, I forget the brand, but it has one private key. And what it does is it actually generates uh, private uh, public key pairs for each service that it does, but it doesn't store them. It actually stores them with the web app itself, like on that server. Interesting. Um, and then that would be sent as part of the authentication challenge from the server that the key has to sign. So the key gets this authentication challenge, goes, I know that this bit of it is the private key that I need to sign it with. Mm. But that's all inscrutable and opaque to the server and to right. anybody looking. So actually, this this key is receiving not only the challenge it needs to sign, but the key it needs to sign it with, which I just think is crazy. Um, and is that in, secure? Can, it, can yeah. a man in the middle attack grab that? Um, it should be. It should be opaque. Oh well. Okay. So what it does is it. What it can do is it can sign that private key itself, or it can encrypt that private key itself with its with its master, master private, private key. key. Right, and that's Get the thing that they never back, use. Decrypt it. Yeah. Use it to sign the the response send that send, response send off, off so it never has to store right you could you could have you know squillions so, of private public being, key the stuff that's stored on the web server is useless without that key that's integrated precisely yes wow yeah okay. yeah and i just thought that was really cool i that's forget really the name really of the clever, i know right my first instinct is that seems wrong and you're like oh wait <laughs> no it all depends on this private key that exists nowhere else mm-hmm. and by yeah. the token when you lose that key exactly all of this is garbage now exactly yeah um, so, you know, be very careful with them and have backups. Yeah. And, and 
and make sure whatever service you're implementing allow multiple keys. Yes, or allow some kind of reset that, again, doesn't compromise your security. Yeah. Mm. You know, you shouldn't be able to simply go, oh, I'm so-and-so and I've lost my key, let me reset it. There needs to be quite a rigorous sort of some way sure. to identify yeah. that person without it. Well, now you're getting into the reality of these Well, quite, yeah. The social engineering approach to defeating that oh, yeah. exactly. method. I mean, the thing about sort of text-based one-time passwords is if I can simply go to your mobile provider and say, oh, you know, I'm Richard and I've lost my my SIM card. Can you give me a new one? Yeah. And now I can read your texts. Yeah. And that happened. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Reddit, I think, yep. had um, their admin team had text-based uh, one-time passwords. And uh, yeah, their security got popped. And in yep. 2018, I Because you social engineer a tech support person. So you as the customer never knew, right, until weird things started to happen. Quite. Yeah. And I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Hey, Carl. Yeah. Today's sponsor is Raygun, and we have the good fortune to have J.D. Trask on the line with us today. Imagine that. Hey, J.D. Howdy, guys. <laughs> I'm going to put on my enterprise hat today, uh, J.D., and ask you a bit about why folks should be logging. Like, what's important about logging a website or an app service? Well, the first thing is actually to have the data to understand the extent of any issues. So mm -hmm. an extremely common thing we see, particularly from mature sort of customers with uh, later stage products, is that they think there can't be that many issues because I haven't heard much from my customers about them. And what we've found is that typically less than 1% of users will ever actively tell you there's a problem. And so a common scenario is you start doing this and you go, oh, my goodness, the whole house is on fire. <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even know and nobody was telling you yeah yeah and that honestly to, in my view that is the beginning of getting value out of tools like raygun it's just at least understand the facts of where you are so then you can improve over time yeah gee our traffic is really low i wonder why it's amazing that they don't come back and tell you that they didn't have a good experience they just go away. Well, that's right. I mean, we have so much choice today in the world. It is so easy to jump away. I remember reading an e-commerce book in the late 90s, and obviously I didn't pay enough attention or I would be the founder of Amazon. But the point was, you know, <laughs> everything is just one click away. You don't even have to walk to the next shop, right? You right. can just do a search. There's the answer. There's the alternative. We have to compete on quality. Yeah, my screen's big enough. I'm already searching on the other site while your site's still running. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for making Raygun. We use it at .NET Rocks. And um, if you want more information on Raygun, just go to raygun.com and check it out. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Yo. Talking to Eli Holderness about um, this passwordless approach, although we've really only talked about one passwordless approach. Yeah. Although with FIDO keys being the physical thing, like you can do passwordless with Authenticator too. It's just the question of, do you limit the password? And my password manager doesn't eliminate the password. It just adds the FIDO key. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting to think in terms of only using passwordless authentication. So multiple authentication strategies. You're like, I'll, can, I'll let you authenticate with an authenticator app. I can let you authenticate with text messages, although I'm pretty sure we don't want to do that anymore with all the hijack risks, or this physical token. Well, and you mm -hmm. remember, Richard, when we had the web forms version of our um, of our admin program for .NET Rocks that I wrote. Yeah. It was just email authentication. Yep. There was only three or four of us that used the app, so it was no big deal. No, but every, and every time you went to use it, you sign, you did the thing. Put your email address in. You yeah. said, okay, send me a link. And, and it, the link had a big old GUID in it, and it was a one-time use. It was use. a one-time yeah. use. Yeah, magic link login, so that yeah. uses it. And it worked yeah. fine. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And that's, you know, if somebody is using a web service, probably have an email address. Mm -hmm. They probably, you know, if they're using your web service, they have e uh, internet access at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing about text based one time passwords is you might be using the internet somewhere that you don't have mobile service. Right. Um, one good thing about text based, uh, uh, one-time passwords though is that unlike an authenticator app you can still receive them to dumb phones right like not smartphones so if you have users that you don't expect to necessarily have something that can install google authenticator then text spaces is is an option and yeah. it's better than nothing but yes there are security risks with it it doesn't feel more secure than a password but, uh, but I think you would do it, it as well yeah, yeah two-factor mm -hmm. yeah. but i still like the one-time identity approach Mm -hmm. Like it feels, cause it really does feel very secure. Yeah. I mean, it means that access can be revoked at any time. Yes. So, you know, let's say you have an email stored with somewhere and that's how you identify yourself. You get a, a link sent to that email. Um, if the person administrating that app says that you should not be allowed to log in anymore, they can simply say, no, that person can't log in anymore. Right. Um, I mean, and that's the same as, you know, removing someone's user record, yeah. but that could be done programmatically. Um, it's this sort of similar idea to if you are using single sign-on with something like Google going in and revoking access to certain apps yes, because the server is the one who is managing that verification. What are you at, right? So our good friend, Patrick Hines, hmm. who's uh, in the security business and his mantra is convenience is the enemy of security. Mm, yeah. And, you know, hopefully you can marry the two as close as possible, but but uh, he said on our show, Security This Week, that he carries all his passwords in an old school flip pad with a pencil in his pocket. Interesting. That's it. Well, I mean, in order to make use of those, people would have to match them up to the services and know what identifiers he was sure. using. Yeah. But also, uh, that, that sounds like a... Um, that sort of reminds me of a uh, sort of um, analog password manager, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah, and it is an, a single point of failure. He loses that. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if the dog wrong. eats his homework or if somebody <laughs> washes it, yeah, that's... Yeah. Or does, he, or does he have two of them and he keeps them in sync? Ooh, now that would be some Patrick. Well, There's we're not just talking about convenience. That <laughs> yeah. does not sound convenient to <laughs> no, 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 me. convinced that, you know, if it's convenient, it's insecure. Yeah. Ooh. And so, therefore... He makes Make it, it inconvenient. Inconvenient for I mean, yourself. I would say that OpenID Connect as a single sign-on mechanism actually does sort of um, thread that needle fairly well because it's actually, it's a lot more secure than SAML is. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of using JSON web tokens that are, you can cryptographically sign them very easily, which you can't sign XML data, which is kind mm -hmm. of the underlying problem with SAML, which those are the two implementations of SSO that we kind of have is SAML and OpenID Connect. Mm -hmm. um, but for the user it's very convenient. It's, you know, you sign in with Google, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. I mean, right. the trade-off is then all my identities are linked to Google. You That's might not right. want that. Yeah. Um, and in terms of developing a system like that, there are very well-trodden paths and libraries and standards so that it's, you, you're not having to roll your own. So it's I sort of... I have had um, the experience where one of the test apps we were building for HTBox, we included Google authentication. Mm -hmm. And nobody would use it. They all created a new username and password because they didn't trust us with their Google identity. Oh, but you you on? They, but yeah, I, and I'm yeah. like, I don't have any access to That's it. That's right. Yeah. It's just for convenience. You it just ask. For doesn't it. matter. Yeah, I suppose that 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 could be a really common conception that yeah. that you are right letting that app log you're, into your yeah. Google. But that's, I'm not giving you my Google password. I'm not asking for your Google password. Yeah, that's yeah. that's precisely the point of yeah. this: is that you are delegating that authentication. Yeah. You are not. Yeah it's, yeah, it's exactly the other way around. Yeah, I don't think and people it, understand it. You know, and, and I get the whole single sign-on is very convenient. But as you say, 
Would you rather trust? I mean, I wouldn't trust Joe's discount shark cages.com to, you know, to keep my password and use that as an authenticator for everybody else. But Google, Facebook, Twitter, Azure. Yeah. I think those guys have security people around the clock making sure that my passwords are pretty safe. Yeah, quite. And again, you won't be the only person who is in, in trouble yeah. if that turns out not to be the case. That's right. Yeah. And so if everybody at Google got leaked all at once, it'd suck for me. But the odds of my account being compromised, really? Or, you know, your account might be compromised, but there might not be any consequences. Not be used, yeah, consequences. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I mean. Yeah. All of us are on Have I Been Pwned. Yes, at some point. Yeah. I'm sure my, my old Gaia Online accounts have been popped or something, you know, you know yeah. someone wants access everything, to my gold. Everything gets breached. I don't see it moving the average mortal. Have I been pwned got me to start using LastPass and Fido, yeah, and Fido keys and things. Like just cause I was in one of the original, original breaches back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. And it, and it's not my passwords were ever bad. They weren't. They were long. But there's only a handful of them. Right. And, um, you reused them. And we were, and they were reused. Mm-hmm. And so, but uh, it doesn't matter how many times I show most folks, have I been pwned and show they're in there. The password you use for this account is now on a list for hackers. Like, mm-hmm. Nope. Not changing. It's not worth it for me. People are bad at, um, understanding risk, yeah. I suppose. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, was that Dylan Dylan Beatty's talk? Somebody was talking about you know, people are bad at understanding risk. Yeah. Um, and I think security is a really good example of that because you have sort of people worrying very much about like one account getting compromised. Like, I don't know, what if Google gets compromised? But you it, you probably wouldn't see any consequences of that because you're one of however many million, Millions, billion yeah. people that use it for third-party authentication. Um, but if you sort of take that burden on yourself and just try and remember a lot of passwords yourself, you're actually putting yourself at far more risk. But it doesn't it doesn't feel that way. No, not yeah. at all. Uh, circle back on OpenID Connect, because we talked about mm. it briefly. Because um, this is it, it's had good times and bad. I, I actually don't know a lot about the history of yeah. it, really. I know how it's sort of how it's built on top of OAuth and you know yeah. what you do and don't get as a result of that. It and- struck me when we talked about it early on and there were all these problems with it, that in the past couple of years, you don't hear much about it because it's just working. Like, yeah. you, you use an OAuth 2 library. Um, I mean, it used to be OAuth, but I guess they're now an Okta company. <laughs> but yeah, they're open source libraries. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a commercial product as well if you want to use it. And, uh, and it seems to just work. Yeah, I think it's had enough eyes on it at this point. It's got that kind of maturity. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously, as more people use it, there's more of an incentive for people to be making sure that it's, yeah, it's quite secure, well. like, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of, I think, I think it's reached that, yeah, that critical mass, yeah, so um, which I think the, the bar for that for SAML would be way, way higher just because it's intrinsically so much harder to secure because they use XML instead of JSON web, web tokens. And XML is extremely flexible. Yeah. Uh, and that just, Massively increases your attack surface, but yeah, but right. OIDC has sort of intentionally taken an approach that doesn't that, that minimizes that. Um, yeah, yeah, and, it, and I guess it is that is another passwordless strategy. Is that okay? You have one real secure password, your Google account or whichever one you want to use, where that password is used in exactly one place, and all these other accounts hang off of that. So mm-hmm. that you have fewer passwords to manage. Yes, and, and, and you can do your two-factor authentication in one place. Right. You set up two-factor on your Google account and 
you're good. That should, that should make it robust enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's definitely comparisons to be made between a password manager and single sign-on that they both have that thing of like, you know, it feels like you're putting your eggs in one basket, but as long as that basket is very secure, it actually increases the security of your entire right. sort of system. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and you only have to be really diligent this one place. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be diligent everywhere, which Quite. is way harder to do. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a good combination of things. So any other passwordless strategies? And we've talked about the OAuth approach. We've talked about the FIDO key approach. We've talked about the authenticator. Don't approach. post on Slack. Yeah, don't, don't post, post on, on Slack. Um, a magic link to an email that takes yeah, you to an authenticator yeah, session. Yeah, you implemented back in the day and, yep. and then others use it every mm-hmm. day. Those, those are the big ones, I would say. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have, you obviously have also like biometrics and what they're mm. usually doing if you're using a smartphone or, you know, your MacBook that has fingerprint reader is they are calling through to a hardware authentication token that right, identifies yeah. you with, uh, as with its, with its, uh, crypt, uh, public key, uh, private key pair. Right. So they're sort of, they are hardware tokens whose auth- authorization gesture is to read it biometric. Yeah. Thing. Right. Um, yeah. And I guess we're okay taking dependency on the phone as long as it's not something that can easily be hijacked out of the phone, see SMS and, and SIM yes. cards. Yeah. And the platform hardware authenticators that are built in, they're like, they're, they are isolated from the hardware. They have a sort of specific isolation layer mm-hmm. um, that provides that same, you know, the private key never leaves the token. Yeah. Right. Um, so even if my phone is riddled with malware, you know, for example, you know, um, it, you still have that level of protection. Yeah. Would you use a YubiKey in place of your, you know, lock screen password on your or pin on your phone? I mean, is there such a thing as that? Because you can't actually open your phone unless you have that thing nearby. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen that. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to think of use cases that I would particularly like. Yeah, yeah. Because if I, I lost my that. phone, you know, nobody yeah. can open it without the YubiKey. Yeah, I, I mean, like that. I have my I, I have my fingerprint set as as an authentication method on my phone, right? Um, and so like I can then use that to log into my bank, for example. Yeah. Um, but I do also have a pin on my phone so that I don't know if I'm wearing gloves or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that the um the extra inconvenience of having to get my YubiKey every time I wanted to open my phone would probably prevent me from doing that. But if it was in your pocket, yeah, maybe, you know? yeah. Well, and it does use NFC, so you don't even have to take it out of your pocket. That's a good point. You like could. I, I tend. I carry my YubiKey around in the coin pocket of my jeans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and oh, I, and I just looked it up from YubiKey, and it's like, yeah, with this version of Google Android, you can configure your lock screen to be unlocked by. That's great. The, oh yeah, the I mean, token. totally technically possible. It's just whether or not yeah, it would be usable for your so specific I case. Rem- I remember back in the day on .NET Rocks mm. when Bluetooth headsets just came out. Richard did a rant, it might have been on Mondays, <laughs> a rant about how you would see people walking down the street talking to nobody. Yeah. <laughs> and like, is he schizophrenia or Bluetooth. just a Bluetooth yeah. conversation? Mm-hmm. And then he says, and now you put your phone in your pocket so you can get brain cancer and testicular cancer at the same time. Or somebody walking down the street, say, rehearsing their conference talk out loud to themselves. <laughs> Not that I've ever do done that. that or anything. Do that. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oh, we had fun, didn't we? <laughs> All the radiations. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think. I mean, I'm not a big Bluetooth fan. Maybe you've heard. Uh, I've never thought about Bluetooth in the role of authentication. Mm, it's just another kind of transport, yeah, basically. Just a, tra- just a transport, and, mm. and most things have a Bluetooth chip in them now, anyway. So yes. Is it any better than NFC? Nah. 
I would probably go for NFC just for the sort of um the very the sort of human aspect of like well I know I've put it close you know I, yeah. I sort of the the physicality of it I think would be reassuring to me. Plus you don't have to pair it with anything. Like, That's know. true. Yes, yeah. um, I've never quite trusted Bluetooth. I've never I've never I don't think I've used it enough to be confident that it's Do doing what I want. Do you turn off Bluetooth and Wi-Fi when you go out where there's no Bluetooth? I mean, I never have Bluetooth on on my phone because it just sucks the battery right out of it, and yeah. I just don't use it. I think I only so use it in the Wi-Fi? car. Do you turn Wi-Fi off when you're not expecting to be anywhere near mm-hmm. Wi-Fi? Because there are there are devices out there that will automatic you, your phone could automatically connect to. Yeah, I had start. a fun time on the train where uh, my phone tried to Bluetooth connect to somebody else's AirPods uh-huh. who was on the train, and I was like, "You don't want to be listening to my music." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I got as soon as I sat down on the plane in Boston, and this is you know half hour before we took off, I got a. You know, Sid's iPhone wants to file airdrop you some files. Yes or no? I'm like, no. Nice. <laughs> I've heard of I people doing what... that and it's just like a picture of their dog or something. Or, or, Everybody look or at my it's dog. It's probably a mistake. You know, yeah. it's probably they're trying to send a picture to their person sitting next to them and they mm-hmm. pick the wrong phone. Yeah. Yeah. That whole thing's a little rough. Actually, that's one of the things I've run into with the UV key is I have gone through the process of if I lost a key. You know, what do I got to do? And it's like, you got to remove it from all the login options. And when you have multiple keys, unless you've labeled them very carefully, you can't tell one from the other. Yes. Yes. I would, have um, you labeled them carefully, Mr. Campbell? Well, yes. Yes, I have. How have you done that? I just got a little code that I've stuck to the back of them. Okay. That then every time I've had to put that key somewhere, I include that code. Nice. And so I don't know which key I've lost because I don't have the code anymore, but I now have the keys I know. And so yeah. I just match those against that. And that'll be the one that'll Interesting. Interesting. But yeah, because they don't look like anything when you're looking at them loaded into whatever app you're using that you want the UV keys. So Interesting. it's all these little things, right? That are, that are all barriers to entry. I think would make, mm-hmm. unless you're concerned enough to think through all the possibilities, like how am I going to work around this? Yeah. And it's what, something I think comes easier to those of us who have development experience and sort of, the right kind of nerdy brains to get and into this. I'm comfortable this. with the foil hat on my head. <laughs> like, you can need a little um, of that. But, you know, for your, if your average user who just wants to be able to get into their online bank and, you know, use right. SSO, yeah. um, the idea of having multiple YubiKeys and how are you going to, you know, manage that um, might be enough to put them off. Or, you know, that that is a usability drawback, I think. Yeah. So maybe maybe something for um, YubiKey and all of those companies to uh, to right. solve in the future. So the takeaway here, dear listener, if you're not using a password manager, do. Yeah. Now is still, you still have time because you haven't been hacked yet. Well, maybe you have, but if, if you have, yeah. chances are you already have a password manager. Over on the run side where we have more of these conversations around IT, I'm, you know, we're advocating strongly for all sysadmins to be using an, a layer of security higher than everyone else in their organization. Like be an exemplar, but the next person you push is your senior executives mm. for two reasons. One is again, lead by example, but second is th- the bad guys are targeting their accounts now, right? And same way they're starting to target sysadmin accounts too, because sysadmins have done a good job of locking down the average user, but they don't lock themselves down and they break their own rules routinely. And even mm. if they don't, they're still a higher value target yeah, because of all the access that they have. So, you know, to spend the same effort on busting a regular user versus a sysadmin, obviously you go for the sysadmin. Sure, if you can figure out who they are. And all this business email compromise about finding senior execs. In, in, and so, you know, what we've been encouraging on the show is when you have to talk to your leadership about how secure we are, it starts with how secure they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, 
and then so you already using one and being comfortable with it and already using a passive manager and being comfortable with it is the best advocacy you could have for mm. getting folks that aren't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, you just have to be honest with somebody. It's like, listen, it's going to take you a week to figure this out at all. And you're going to use it on a few accounts first. And I'm going to make you use it on your M365 account first. And then hopefully as you get more comfortable, it'll take you a year to fully adopt it. But, and you won't be really comfortable for longer than that, but it's okay because everything is better. Yes. It's, it's a pure, like it's just pure win. Yeah. Uh, it's all win after that. And it does, I mean, you can look your board in the face and go, we're protecting our most valuable accounts to an, a high level. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a problem saying that on Don Ross because there's plenty of devs out there today who have IT responsibilities in the organization right. and they are being asked that question. Are we secure? And so it's not a bad thing for all of us as responsible developers to take a couple of steps up on the, on the security mm-hmm. chain. Do yeah, it. quite. You can do it. It's not that it's hard. It's not hard. It just takes time. You might have to go through um, all of your websites that you. Oh, you will, right? Log La- into LastPass and- bugs you for the password challenge. Yeah, but, but it's that's a- right. Let LastPass bug you for it. Yeah. Right. To, to say that every so often on a Sunday, you go through where have you reused passwords. And you fix them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then it'll start bugging you for, it's time to turn over some passwords. That's right. right. Hey, your PayPal password's a year old. Why don't you change it? Yeah. And which is really not that hard to do. No. Okay. <laughs> and having a service manage that executive functioning for me, of, totally. of, of keeping track of that for me, perfect. Because Lord knows I would not be able to do it on my own. No. But, then, but that's why they exist. But then the, when we're all doing this and comfortable with this, adding this to our app seems way more reasonable. We're going to be good test candidates ourselves, mm-hmm. and then we start we, we start getting more of our organizations again. Yeah. Well, I'm convinced. Well done, Eli. Yeah, well done, Eli. <laughs> thank you very much, and thanks for uh, for being here with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a delight. You bet. And we'll see you, dear listener, next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a